0: Hey, hello. Uh, it's Megan Collins from Style Girlfriend. We are back with another episode of Undressed. You guys know that Undressed is our opportunity to talk to folks that we think are living with style, and that doesn't mean they have to work in fashion, but today's guest does. Uh, today, we're talking to Sharifa Murdoch. She is the co-founder of the men's fashion and lifestyle trade show, Liberty Fairs. Uh, if you were listening to this when... We put this episode out. She's probably in Vegas right now for their semi-annual show out there. Uh, we got a chance to speak pretty much right before she left uh, here in New York at the Liberty Fair's offices, which were very cool. Maybe you saw them on Snapchat. Do you follow us on Snapchat? You should definitely follow us on Snapchat. Sharifa is... Amazing. She actually co-founded the International Trade Show project when she was just 23. And after selling that, she and her co-founder decided to start all over again, uh, from the ground up with Liberty Fairs. And I just, I could not be more enamored of her as a woman, as a boss, as a just all-around cool chick in menswear. So I knew that I wanted to talk with her and get her take on, you know, the difference between style and fashion and where bloggers and influencers fit into the trade show sort of circuit and how she, you know, and her husband get along and like just all the things. Like I was, just, I could have talked to her for hours, honestly, but I didn't. And so therefore this podcast is not that long and you should listen all the way to the end. But before you do that, which I know you are on pins and needles for, Please do go and subscribe to the Undressed podcast on iTunes if you haven't already. Uh, I cannot explain Apple's black magic, but I do know that it helps us uh get in front of more folks like you. Um or maybe nothing like you. I don't know. I don't know your life. Um but it does it does help and it does push us up the rankings which is cool. So if you like this podcast or if you I don't know, feel Generally lukewarm, but like veering towards positive. Go, go subscribe. Even leave a comment if you, if you're so inclined. I would love that. I'd love to hear from you. Tell us who you want to hear as guests. Tell us what you want me to talk about. I'm, I'm here for you guys. So holla. And with that, let's get right to our conversation, my conversation with Sharifa Murdoch. We're here with Sharifa Murdoch. Thank you so much for having us to your offices. We're here at the beautiful Liberty Fairs office in Soho. Uh, Like I said today, you are the co-founder, co-owner of Liberty Fairs. But I want to know, what was your first job?
1: My real first job was a paper route. Well, wait, first off, thank you for letting me be on your show. This is an amazing opportunity, and I'm excited. Um, okay, so my real first job was a, a paper route I had in Jersey. I used to ask my parents all the time to buy me all these things. Like, when I say everything, I wanted everything as a child. And he, my dad at one point was like, you're going to have to work for what you want. So they got me a job throwing papers on people's porches in the summertime. I did it for two weeks, and then my dad ended up doing it. Because I could not anymore. But that was my real first job, to be honest with you.
0: Okay, and that lasted two weeks?
1: It lasted two weeks, yes.
0: Were you able to get anything that you wanted from that? No.
1: I had to, like, clean up, do chores and stuff, and then I got what I wanted.
0: Was that something that was instilled in you from a young age? Yeah,
1: my dad always made sure that we did work in order to get... Uh, basically, things that we wanted. So, if I wanted, I would go to the mall, and I'll be like, "I just need thirteen items. Thirteen items." I was of, to Target. No, I was big. No, it wasn't Target either. <laughs> it was big. I always wanted big things. Like that's how my eyes was always, you know. And my dad did instill with me. He used to say it was like quality over quantity. So everything I looked at was very expensive, and it was just always about that. And he wanted me to work really, really hard. So I would always have to do a chore. I would have to do something in order to gain those items and that's what pushed me as a child.
0: That makes sense to me. How did you end up in fashion? Was that an interest came out of that?
1: Well yeah, I used to my dad was such a great dresser and I loved fashion. And growing up in Brooklyn, you know, we were all about like guests and name labels, a bunch of labels. And I just loved fashion and I wanted to work in fashion. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Growing up, of course when you grew up back then, it was like, you can either be a designer or a buyer. Like, those were the two things. So, of course, I went to school for fashion merchandising and buying and worked in retail and then just started from there. And how does that start from there?
0: You're not only Liberty Fairs, are you the co-founder, but you're also the co-founder of Project, which yeah came before and is sort of... um you know, it has a lot of heritage. Liberty uh, Liberty has a lot of heritage coming out of that. So talk to me about that transition. Talk to me about how that happened.
1: Well, I mean, it will start from when I was 16. So there's some, my partner, Sam Ben Abraham, which is also my mentor growing up. Worked, he owned Atrium clothing store on, in Soho.
0: And for those who don't know, explain as unbiased as you can how, like... Talk to us about how cool Atrium was. Okay, so no, Atrium
1: was not only cool, it was like the first to do everything. Like, they were one of the first boutique stores to do shops and shops. It was like, you would never understand how amazing the store, everyone from anyone who shopped in the store, Puffy, Jay-Z, Biggie, like anyone that you could think of that was cool back then, shopped in Atrium. And that was the store. They launched all these denim brands. They are like... They're going to always be a pillar in this industry at the end of the day. And I was fortunate enough to work there. I met tons of people, made many of connections. Um, and Sam basically saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. I was working there and then I went back to college and I started working at Louis Vuitton. And Sam calls me one day and we always have this joke. And we said, like, if anyone ever worked in Atrium once, they worked there twice. So, like, after I left, he was like, everyone's coming back. And I was like who's everyone and what are you doing? I'm like sitting in a cushy job in uh, Louis Vuitton in um, Manhattan, upper Manhattan. Like headquarters. Headquarters, Headquarters. they were like building me an office. I like did their whole, built their whole customer service department. And I saw like the plans for my office and he calls and he's like, everyone's coming back. And I'm like, no, I'm not coming back to work on a a floor. Like, you know, I had an office. And he was like, no, just come back and I'll figure it out from there. And then I thought about it for a while. I could have stayed at Louis Vuitton, bought trillions of purses, because at that time, that's all I was doing was (laughs) buying bags and shoes. Um, Or I can kind of go back to Atrium and kind of, you know, rewind and see what I really wanted to do in my life. And I think that that was one important part of my life. And that was a major decision that I made that kind of brought me to where I am today.
0: And what do you think was it about you that Sam sort of picked out and said, that's who I want?
1: I honestly can just tell you that he... And it's funny, he was, you know, Sam's also involved in WeWork. And we were at a party the other night and he was talking to the WeWork guy. He basically was like, you know, I just gave up myself. Like I was, he, he told me and I just believed in him. I, for some odd reason, I was like, you know what, let's just see where it's going to go. I'm not even going to lie to you. I trusted him. I worked at Atrium for about three years before and I knew the whole entire family and we kind of all grew up together. And it was kind of like, okay, let's just go take that opportunity again and see what, what it can lead to. And I was on the show. I was on the show floor. Sorry, I was on the sales floor for about let's say three weeks as a store manager. And so a then, little
0: longer than your paper
1: route. Yeah, a little bit longer than the paper <laughs> route. And he comes to me one day and he's like, "Listen, I want you to stop this. You're gonna come downstairs and work in the basement, where which was the funniest thing. We all worked in the basement of Atrium, yes, and it was really cool. Um, and I want you to call these people. He gave me a list of people to call, and he was like, "Tell them I want them to do my show. And I was like, 23 years old. I was like. They're not going to listen to me. And what show? I was like, what's a show and what's a trade show? I had no idea what I was doing. And that was kind of like the best opportunity, I think, in life for me because I went into something blindfolded. I did not know what I was doing. And Sam is not the kind of person that's going to micromanage you at all. He gives you that opportunity to basically make those mistakes and... See if you can grow from there. And that's where Project All began. Right. It's such cliche, like a sink or swim. but. And uh... I think that for me, that was a big, big time in my life just because I was trusted to build something like that. And I honestly didn't wake up and realize it until I was probably about 28 when we were selling Project, to be honest with you. It was just fun. We were just having fun and we were just building something that was so cool and that wasn't done before that it felt right.
0: So for listeners who don't know, can you... Describe what a trade show is, what its purpose is.
1: So basically a trade show is very simple. Any store that you see, that you shop at, the brands are in the store. They have to show the store. The brands have to show the stores what is coming out for the next season and the following season after that. So a trade show is a platform where those, bu- those bu- buyers can come see these brands ahead of time and shop for the stores.
0: Now, we both kind of... Uh came about during sort of the hashtag menswear movement I guess you were there before but like you really kind of came to prominence like you became this like figurehead in menswear and so I think we met because I probably came to a trade show but Mm -hmm. as like a blogger as an influencer whatever you want to call it I'm I'm there and maybe I get my picture taken as I walk in and then I kind of go around and I maybe see people from these brands where oh hey we've always talked on email it's so nice to meet you in person yeah I do not belong at trade shows like end of day. Like it's good for me to kind of see what the trends are that come are coming. But I'm very aware that any time that I'm taking talking to a brand is time away from maybe like a buyer from Nordstrom talking to the brand. How do you see that?
1: I think it's different now. I think before it was that that was the case. But I think that as an influencer, you have as much value now as a buyer. You are basically the consumer. Right? So you speaking to these brands and you having that influence on other people to shop those brands are as, it's majorly important for them to stop and speak to you just as much as they will speak to a buyer.
0: So did you guys actively seek out that sort of transition in terms of trade shows? Of
1: course. Like even this season, I was like spearheading this um, initiative with GQ. GQ has the GQ insiders. And basically I spearheaded this initiative to have all of them, all the influencers come to a lunch, come see what Liberty is about and understand it is important for you to be at these shows because you are the trendsetters. And I believe that as influencers, you will have a greater influence on the consumer faster, faster, and more productive than the actual buyer
0: and I think that's probably true I don't even disagree with that I think it there is just this sense of like what are we doing like let the let the grown-ups get their work done and then we can come in
1: but I don't believe that I believe I think that listen honestly you guys are going to be you're leading the industry and that's the bottom line I'm a full supporter of it I think that Anyone that thinks that other way is very old school and they're not looking deeper to what can be for the future. Who would have known that people would be sharing car services together and becoming, and just being able to get an app and get a car. Everybody thought that you would have to stand there and hail a taxi. You know, I think that anyone that still thinks like that is very archaic and they need to really open up their eyes and understand that, you know, influencers are very influential. And that's the bottom line. and It's built into the name. In, <laughs> and, and I think that you just have to use your influence in a positive way. I'm about that. I'm more about using your influence in a positive way than in another way.
0: And I suppose there's a spectrum, too. I mean, style and readers are going on the site to see what they should wear tomorrow. Whereas, obviously, long lead editors of magazines or more uh, trend-driven blogs, they do care about, hey, here's what's going to be cool you know, next spring.
1: Yeah, but I also feel like the industry is now changing, right? So, whereas when you go to a trade show, theoretically, it's six months ahead. People are not shopping like that anymore. People can care less about what's going on six months from now. I can care less about what's going on four days from now. I need to know what's now. And I think that that's where how people are shopping. What's happening now? People want instant gratification. And I think that that's what you guys, that's why you're important because you're an influencer that's in a store and you have this beautiful dress on, right? And whoever it's made by, you can now wear, style it on a picture and someone's going to want to go and find that dress today. That's how I shop. If I see something right away, I want to buy it then. Give me five minutes later. If I didn't find it within the next five minutes, I'm over it and I've moved on to the next thing. And I think that that's how a lot of the generation is growing up. You guys want it so quickly and it's so, it's so, it's so obtainable so quickly that you, it's easy. So why not use you as a platform to sell clothes? Why not use you as a platform to pr- use products or debut products? I think it's important.
0: So why, in your opinion, does like fashion with a capital F matter?
1: Fashion with a capital F, like that. I think fashion with a capital F will always matter. Because people want to feel cute. Girls want to feel pretty. Men want to feel handsome. You ever felt really bad, but then for some odd reason, when you bought that one item in a store, you felt like you changed the world for five seconds? That's what fashion to me is. Fashion is very important to a mind, body, and soul kind of productive. How does it differ from personal style? Personal style and fashion. Fashion, personal style is someone's personal. Like, they, I feel like if you're feeling a certain way. So if I'm feeling not so great today, I'm going to wear all black. But if you feel like you got up in a good mood, then you're going to put on this beautiful white dress and you're going to just, that's personal. You know, that's more, that's more of you. Whereas fashion can sometimes be misled as a trend or fad.
0: So for men specifically, how would you go about convincing a guy, let's say, to care about what he's putting on in the morning? I can
1: give you a prime example, my husband. He is a prime example. When we first met, my husband did not care about what he wore. And he would always show up on dates. He works for MTA with the uniform on. And, but well, like as we dated and as we've gone along, now it's uh, funny when we get dressed. He's like, he's more dressed up than I am. And I'm like, he's like, I feel good. I want to I look good. And I think that it was an influence on me, from me, to him. Because he saw that I enjoyed dressing and now he kind of want match to match what I do. And I think that that's a big deal. And I think that that's how you start to push your mate or your friends. I think it all depends on your circle. So if you're hanging around a bunch of girls that are dressing really amazing you're not going to be the only lame in the bunch that like kind of looks halfway you know what i mean like you want to be a part of that and i think that that's what life is everyone wants to be a part of something
0: well it's so interesting you, you know you kind of said the word push but I, I can't imagine that you pushed your husband or
1: you well, were, i didn't push him your he, how did that
0: actually yeah. he
1: literally did it himself like He would start to ask questions. He's the kind of guy that's very into it. Like, into it, what is it, inquisitive, right? So he always wants to know. So as he came to the shows, he saw how different people were dressing. And he kind of was like, I kind of like that. And I think as time went on, he kind of found his own personal style. And it wasn't just the uniform or sweatpants. It was like, I like wearing khakis. I love wearing red Wing boots. I love wearing, like, whatever, um, Y3 sweatpants instead of Nike. Like, this is what I like. And he kind of grew into his own thing. But it wasn't me pushing him. I wasn't like, you got to get dressed. He would be like, see me dressed up and be like, babe, you look really beautiful. And then get dressed in something else that compliments me.
0: And is, it, is there a source of positive reinforcement coming from you? When of he does course.
1: I'm like, you. babe, you look really good. Because So when I do that, it makes him smile ear to ear. And then makes him want to get dressed up even more next time. You know?
0: Well, it's so interesting. I just commented in an article for... Yeah. Yeah. Who I want to say this morning, I was talking to this guy, this journalist about that, uh, that wall street journal article that just came out this week that it was like, I don't know, death to cargo shorts or something, but it was sort of about, uh, men who dress in a way that their wives don't approve of. And Mm -hmm. you know, these women are either like throwing their clothes away or Mm -hmm. sort of, um, coming at it from like a negative kind of like, Oh, really? You're wearing that
1: again. You have to let it be like, and I'm going to just tell you from experience, let it be because in the beginning, I'm not going to lie, I was like, I'm throwing this away, I'm throwing that away, and it kind of, like, caused a little riff, because he's like, you're trying to change me, you know, and then I sort of was like, you know what, you would... Obviously, you married him, so obviously you like the way he is, right? So leave him and let him be. And after a while, it just changed on its own.
0: And that's what I said too. I mean, it's a cliche, but sometimes cliches are cliches for a reason. Is that you, you know, you catch more flies with honey, right? Exactly. So it's like you said, when when your husband would dress up, you'd say, "Oh my gosh, babe, you look so handsome." Yes. I just, you know, and something that I mentioned too, and I think is true is that for a couple that's in a good place where they're not feeling threatened or they're not feeling like one person's going to like run out on the other. If you can put it out there that, hey, when I am more attracted to you, that is a good thing
1: for our relationship. It's the same thing as like working out, right? Yeah. So when you when you first met your guy, he might have been like 120 pounds and then all of a sudden you guys been together for a long time and you're like 160. You don't look the same. So it becomes like that unattractive feeling, right? And then once you guys start working out together, you start to have that kind of chemistry and you love that about each other. And I think that that grows makes your relationship grow even closer and closer. It's important.
0: Right. And circling back to the idea of, again, fashion, of personal style, kind of whatever you want to call it, I think that that's something that um, as much as there's sort of the naysayers out there that want to say, well, it shouldn't matter what I look like. The reality is that it does. Exactly. And so let's stop living in a fantasy world yes. or let's stop arguing against reality and embrace it. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, if, if your man wants you to wear high heels 24-7, you don't have to do that. But maybe on a date night. And if your wife or your girlfriend wants you to not wear, who knows, pleated chinos to dinner, like (laughs) maybe take her up on that. Exactly. I think it's just a very pragmatic way of looking at relationships and looking at why personal appearance matters in them. It sounds like you guys have a good, good thing going. What do you think, I mean, both professionally and personally, what do you think that guys do get right about personal style? And what do you think that they, like you wish you could just shout from a rooftop that you wish every guy knew?
1: Ah, it's kind of hard. Um, basically, I think that, I'm just going to say with men, maybe sometimes you're overdressed for certain things, and maybe they think about it too much. You know, you've ever seen, you ever gone out somewhere, and you can just tell the person put a lot of effort into their outfit, and it was just... I don't think you got to do all that nowadays.
0: You know, it's funny. You and I were speaking before we started recording that you'll be traveling to Vegas for uh, Liberty next week. Next week. Um, And I asked if you'd started packing it. And you're like, God, no. But the reason that you don't have to is because you do know that everything is there at home. Like, all the things you want, all the things you need, it's ready to go. And I think when it comes to personal style, I think the way that guys can avoid either looking like they thought through it too much or looking sort of haphazard is to work on building... Like a grown ass man's wardrobe.
1: Of course, I definitely feel like there's some key pieces that every man should have, right? A white button down shirt, for instance, is a key piece in a man's closet. Every man should have it, and I think that for women, it's the same thing. I always, I have a bunch of white button down shirts. That's my go to situation. Or a white T shirt. Mm. I'm a white T shirt fanatic. I used to like buy 365 T shirts a day, so I could wear one each day and just get rid of it.
0: What's your T shirt brand? What's like like I'm guessing you're not uh, wearing
1: Vids. Yeah. I think a Vince t-shirt is always classic and the best. Vince t-shirts, Vince hangtops. But now, here goes another problem, but now I'm in love with Cotton Citizen. Cotton Citizen's women's t-shirts are amazing. And I think you guys should definitely try it.
0: <laughs> What's the can't-miss look for a guy? Like if he's, whether he's in a suit or whether he's in like a t-shirt and jeans, what are a few brands where you feel like it kind of covers a multitude of sins for men?
1: I think that a guy cannot not have in his wardrobe, let's just say that, simple stuff, right? So I'm an old school Ralph Lauren, white t-shirt girl for a guy. I think a white, crispy... Well, the polo guy is on the bottom. It like come... Every store has... Like I would say Macy's, Bloomingdale's, whomever, Saks. They all sell this three-pack shirt that is phenomenal. The quality of it is perfect. Um, And a pair of Nike sneakers. Or New Balance. Like, I just feel like you can throw that on and always look cool. I would say PRPS Jeans. I would say for a man. Oh, my God. There's a new brand. Well, not so new, but it's called St. Paul. And I'm obsessed with it. And I think that's a good guy's thing. Or even Y3 by Adidas.
0: We'll drop links in so people can go check all this stuff out. out. Because I feel like you know, we have followers who are everywhere, right? And there's some guys that are are in New York and can go and discover this stuff for themselves. And then for some, it's harder where you're having to order things from e-com sites. You're having to go through, you know, the pain of like, am I this size in this brand or am I this size and how is it going to look? And is it really worth paying double what I would, you know, otherwise pay for, let's say a white t-shirt. And it can be hard for guys to uh, be willing to sort of upgrade when they can't like get their hands on it. What are some of your favorite success stories coming out of Liberty?
1: Liberty itself. Oh,
0: that's a good one. Liberty. <laughs> yes.
1: okay. I think Liberty is a big success story for us. I honestly um, come leaving such a platform that we had grown and built project. How did that happen? So basically, once we sold the company, I stayed on to kind of manage the brands that I had bought in from the beginning. We had started with 67 brands and then we ended up with over a thousand. Um, I think that what we started originally was a community. What it ended up being was a big, 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 big trade show. Trade show. It was a big trade end. show. <laughs> <laughs> Edit. Um, and I just felt like it wasn't what we started. I no longer could have built something that I didn't believe in. And that was really simple. It was, um, it, I guess the feeling was mutual as well. I still speak to the people over there. We're all friendly. Um, it's just I wanted to do something different. And I wanted to start what we built from the beginning. And, then, you know, thankfully Sam had the same idea and wanted to do it as well. And that's how Liberty began. And I think that that, to me, was a big success because seeing how everyone reacted when I did leave, just to have that support, meant the world to me. And it was like a big deal.
0: If you can get this far in this industry and not burn bridges. Like that is definitely a success. (laughs) And every time I see you, I I actually, it's so funny. I was looking, you know, you up obviously before we uh, talk today and your bio calls you a master relationship developer, which I love. It's like on the site, (laughs) which I was like, I love that. That's like, you know, a bullet in her, you know, her bio and it's, but it's so true. I mean, every time I see you, I feel like you're saying hi to 10 different
1: people at once. Yeah.
0: I mean, how do you think that you, is that something that comes naturally to you or you? It
1: is. I love people. I love meeting new people. I love speaking to people. I've just built as I grew up and grew older, I built more personal relationships with people. I believe that that's that's just me. That's in within me. I don't give handshakes really. I hug all the time. I'm more emotional and connected that way. And I think that that's just what comes out in my work and in my personal life.
0: How do you and Sam balance each other out in terms of, you know, the skill sets that you both bring to the job? Because it's so interesting. I mean, not everyone has a, like, I think everyone has like their work wife right yeah. like you get you know a lot about those but you guys are literally I mean your co-founders like this is a relationship as much as you and your husband have a relationship yeah.
1: basically and I've been with Sam longer than my husband <laughs> which is so funny um Sam Sam is amazing like he balances me out he teaches me something new every day every time I think that I've gotten it all figured out he comes with something on the side and I'm like I didn't think about that like he's a genius when it comes to that and We balance each other out because he takes those risks. He takes those risks on anyone. You know, I always say I owe a lot of my life, career-wise, to Sam, because I could have ended up a whole other route. You know, I was a young girl growing up in Brooklyn.
0: Have you learned anything about relationships, personal relationships, from, you know, having to fight it out at
1: work with him about certain things, or? No, we don't fight. You
0: don't fight? We
1: don't fight. Like, I've never had a fight with Sam. I just can't. Like. We figure it out. We might have a heavy discussion, but not ever a fight. I can't even fight with him. There's nothing to fight about. Do
0: you think that's impacted the culture at both Project and at Liberty to have you know your,
1: your team see? You have to lead by example, right? And if me and Sam was in ups like all the time, our whole staff would be like that. It's just like when someone comes in all frantic, you make everyone else in the room frantic. So it's no we're like a family here it's like you're my cousin or my sister there's no arguments and even if we do argue it's like five minutes later we're crying and like making up and kissing that's the kind of office we have here it's funny
0: is it something conscious as you build sort of the next generation of of the team do you treat uh I don't even know how to ask this I guess but in terms of the women under you and the men that
1: are coming up under you do you treat them like my sister and my brother? And I would look out for any of them as I would look out, as Sam would look out for me. That's one thing he's always taught me is to kind of like have loyalty. And when we do look for like employees, we look for a certain quality in an employee. Like, are they friendly? Do, are they, do they want to talk to people? Like, you need to be able to socialize with other people in order to have this kind of position. And we look for those qualities in people, and it's a rare quality. You may think that that quality is all over the place. It's a rare quality. You find out how many people don't want to socialize with people more than want to socialize with people.
0: So before I let you go, we ask all of our guests, uh, I want to know, what was your first million bucks moment?
1: My first million bucks moment, I would say it again, is starting Liberty. When I was able to leave a big conglomerate project, and bring over a hundred brands with me, that was my million bucks moment. It made me feel like, wow, I can do this. And it didn't bring fear to me. I just kind of closed my eyes and went. And just, it made me feel like I want to give everyone that opportunity. And ever since then, I've always given anyone that opportunity. If I can help in any way, if I can support something, I'm there to support it. And I think it's important. And I think that for women, it's important for you to know your worth, you know. Sometimes we've been told several times, oh, you're a woman, you're too young. You're this, you're that. Know your worth and set your tone from the beginning and people will respect it and they will follow you and always remain humble.
0: Wise so. words. Sharifa, where can people find you online?
1: Um, at Um It's coming soon, so you guys can find me there.
0: Ooh. And- no pressure, uh, but now that better be ready yeah, by the yeah, time they're this they're goes ready. live. <laughs> That's and, um, good. It sets a deadline
1: on for you. <laughs> Instagram, Sharifa Says. Everything is Sharifa Says.
0: I love it. Sharifa Murad. thank you so much for being here, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you. That was my conversation with Sharifa Murdoch. If you liked this episode, please go and rate us on iTunes. Please subscribe. We really do appreciate it. it really does make a difference. And that's it for us for now. I'm Ben Collins of Style Girlfriend. This is Undressed, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks.